Good afternoon and welcome to Man Cave, a new local program heard every other Wednesday at this time, a show where Catholic men can share their faith stories and also discuss issues affecting us in today's culture. My name is Brian Howell, my wingman, Pat King, joining us in the studio this afternoon, our guest from our Lady of the Valley in Caldwell, Deacon Pat Kearns. Hey guys. How are you? I'm great, great. Thanks for having me. And I'd like to invite anybody else out there so we don't just pull everything from Our Lady of the Valley, although it is a great parish. If anyone out there feels like they would like to come on and tell their story, I'd love to have you. So contact Brian here at Salt and Light and uh, tell us, you know, uh, if you'd like to come on or not. Okay, so I'd like to introduce Deacon Pat. He is our newest deacon at our parish, at Our Lady of the Valley, and he came here a little over a year and a half ago. Yeah, last uh, a year ago from June. Yeah. Okay, and so now already teaching our youth minute, our adult ministry uh, on Sundays and he's done quite a bit he's even spoke at my men's group which everybody loved and uh, tell us about your your Catholic history I mean everyone's got a, a past and I'd like to know where you came from you know, it's kind of funny when you asked me to be on this show, my first reaction was, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, who, who wouldn't want to be on the radio? Then after a few minutes, I thought about it and I thought, wow, who wants to be on the radio? <laughs> but anyway, so you're having second thoughts. Huh? Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me anyway, because, uh, you know, often, you know, I think about uh, not trying to, you know, share my story with people and the fact that it's not really all about me. Um, and here you are asking me about me. But anyway, I'm here. But if people don't know your story, they want to be able to relate. And they want to know where you came from to know that what you're telling them is something they can they can appreciate and respect. Maybe the challenges you've faced. Maybe they can relate to something like that. And that, that brings that connection a lot deeper. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for saying so. Well, a little bit about myself is I come from a family that was a strong Catholic family mom and dad who were just really exceptional Catholics. And uh, from, from a man's point of view, my dad was a great role model. He didn't teach so much by words, although he was a teacher. He really taught by example. He was kind of from that old school where um, you didn't really have to speak a whole lot. You proved yourself through your actions in life. And uh, I have five brothers. So I had a mom and dad and five brothers. I made the six. There were six of us. Wow. And yeah. We Food grew- bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, my mom and dad would go to the grocery store and, and you hear this with big families all the time, but they had the two shopping carts. And so they'd go down the aisles and they'd be filling up the two carts as we went along. But anyway, so I had five brothers and uh, we grew up in Northern California in a small town called Marysville and out in, our, in the rural area and uh, had really a good life. I think we lived a a typical life with a bunch of boys. I think uh, sports was really a big part of our life. All of us played sports, and and, uh, I think that's where we got our validation in life was through uh, playing sports. Then we all went off and did, you know, different things. Quite a few of my older brothers joined the military after high school, and so that's what I did. I actually joined the Navy, and there's kind of a story that goes along with that. I really didn't know what I was uh, to do in life. Um, I pretty th- I thought I was a, a macho guy and played sports. And, oh, we all think that. <laughs> yeah, and had girlfriends. And then all of a sudden, high school's over and the world kind of changes. And, and what, what are we supposed to do at that point in life? Well, I just following the footsteps of some of my older brothers, I, I joined the service. But I had to decide, what was I going to do in the service? Well, a couple of people said, hey, air, tra- air traffic controller, that's a great job. Um, you can make a lot of money with that. You get free training in the service. So I signed up to be an air traffic controller. What a life choice, huh? (laughs) Anyway, not knowing anything about it. So anyway, I go to the MEP station where you get your physical and and they check you out. And and they said, you know, you signed up to be an air traffic controller. Did you know you are horribly colorblind? (laughs) 
And they said, you, you can't be an air traffic controller. You can't see the different colors on the screen. You're going to wreck these planes. <laughs> so I already said goodbye to all of my friends. And, and I was really shipping off um, to go to boot camp. And now I didn't have a job. So I asked them, well, what jobs are available? What can I do? And uh, they gave me a list. They said, hey, you scored pretty well on your ASVAB. So these are all the different things that you can choose from. Well, one of the things on that list was a hospital corpsman. And I said, hey, what's this hospital corpsman thing? And they said, well, and, and you know, here, here I am, not probably the brightest guy in the world. They're trying to explain to me what a hospital corpsman is. And they said, did you ever watch that show MASH on TV? And I said, yeah, MASH, that's my favorite show out there. And they said, well, that's really kind of what it is. So I said, okay, sign me up. I'll do that. So I go off to boot camp. And after boot camp, they send me off to A school and I become a hospital corpsman. You got to remember, in my mind, I'm still this thinking I'm this macho guy in high school. I'm a football player thinking I'm a football star. And I go in the military. I finish boot camp. I finish my A school and they send me to my first assignment. Where do they send me? They send me to Long Beach to a hospital. And I thought, OK, I'm going to a hospital. Now, what department did they send me to in that hospital? The labor and delivery unit. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do on a labor and delivery unit? And actually, I was there for two years. And, um, and, and I actually helped with the process of all these ladies having babies. I think I counted over 300 babies that I helped in the delivery process with. And you know what? That, in hindsight, now looking back, I could really see God's hand in that. Because I was pretty much a self-centered guy, a self-serving guy. And where does he send me? To probably one of the most vulnerable areas that a person could really serve in. And you know what? To my surprise, I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I was doing, bringing life into the world, helping people at a real kind of sensitive time in their life. And, um, and it, it, it made me start thinking a little differently about where was the rest of my life going. And um, well, anyway, life went on and I finished that term of uh, working on the labor and delivery unit. Then they sent me to work with the 4th Marine Division uh, in Camp Pendleton. And with a hospital corpsman, hospital corpsmen can either work in hospital settings or they can be assigned to the Marine Division and be, and be sent with Marines. So my next assignment was with the Marines. That was back to my initial line of work that I thought I really wanted to do. And I enjoyed that. Anyway, time went on. I got out of the military, went back to college, and then um, kind of skipping forward a little bit, um, life went on and um, ended up meeting my wife. We got married. We had kids. Many years have gone by at that point. We moved down to Southern California. I was working in a psychiatric hospital. And in that psychiatric hospital, some opportunities came up. And I'm kind of getting to with this kind of what led me to the journey of becoming a deacon. But anyway, in that psychiatric hospital, I really saw an opportunity in the area to start a business. And I started a home health psychiatric business. And that's what I was as a psychiatric nurse at that time after college. I became a psychiatric nurse. So let me ask you, yeah. was, was it hard while you're in the military to, to remain faithful to, uh, to mass and all that? I mean, did, did they make it easier? Was it difficult? Where, where, did, where did things go on that? Yeah, that's a great question because... Um, even though I was raised with these great parents and these great Catholic role models, um, I think like many people in the world, we could get really sucked into the culture. And the military is actually a really easy place to be sucked into the culture because uh, religion and faith is not really a part of your surroundings often anyway. And then, and then after the military, when, you, when I went out into the secular world, 
um, I really got sucked into just the 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 things of the world and and um, and although we were Catholic still and we still went to mass, it it really wasn't a priority in our life. And looking back on it now, I really see that we were probably would be described as lukewarm Catholics. Maybe not so much my wife. She's a little bit more fervent um, and always has been. But that's what, that's what we were at the time, I would say. So when working in the labor and delivery, obviously that had to kind of pull at your heart as far as the pro-life aspect of being Catholic, uh, just coming off of pro-life month and getting ready to start 40 Days for Life. I mean, seeing life enter the world, did that kind of rekindle some of those Catholic feelings? Yeah, especially for a, a young man, because what was I, 19, 20 years yeah, old oh, at the time? Yeah. And um, so I was a really young guy. And um yeah, just to see really the the miracle of birth, and to see it over and over and over again, it never gets old. I can see why these these obstetricians just really love what they do, because it doesn't get old. That that first breath of life is just is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Man Cave on Salt and Light Radio, and our guest today is Deacon Pat Kearns from Our Lady of the Valley in Caldwell. Where are we at in the story as far as getting closer to becoming a deacon? Yeah, I'm sorry if this is a little drawn out. No, I'll try no, to get no, no, no. It's a half-hour show. so <laughs> Okay, so I can drag it out. Yeah. No, we're all intent. We're all leaning on our tables, listening to every word. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so I'm in San Diego. I'm working at the psychiatric hospital. I see this opportunity that I can uh, open a business. So I, I decided I'm going to open up this psychiatric home health business. Business, where psychiatric nurses go out into the community and make home visits and help people um, restabilize so they don't have to be hospitalized. Well, that business just took off. I should say, though, my wife was a little nervous when I decided to do that. And um, as you get to know me a little bit more, you'll see that there's kind of a, a trend to this. My wife has followed me through many things from from leaving this country and being missionaries to all kinds of things. But anyway, she followed along a little nervously. And we opened this business and, you know, it just grew and it grew and it grew. And we ended up we ended up having uh, 20 nurses on staff on this business. And we opened up another company in Oceanside. And then we opened up another company in San Bernardino. And that funded us opening up a medical weight loss clinic. And this was just in a, a matter of a few years. We had five businesses going and operating. And our life changed dramatically. From growing up relatively poor, my wife and I, to now having all of these businesses and they were prospering really well, we were really showered with um, kind of all the things that the world could offer. And, you know, we had a nice house on the top of a hill. We overlooked the, the stadium in San Diego. We had a nice speedboat we used to take down to Mexico and go around um, the islands there. My wife had a housekeeper and we were really living life to the fullest from the respect of what the, what the world could offer. But I got to say, and, and this is where looking back, God's hand was truly touching us. It so happened at the same time we, we started going to church more fervently. We started getting a little more involved in church, although our hearts, or at least mine, was being actually tugged away, being pulled towards the things of the world. Anyway, I think through God's grace, somehow he just really put it on my heart that, that the world was offering me everything it could offer, but yet there was an emptiness. There was something there that was truly, truly missing. It wasn't my wife and that relationship. By that time, I had three children. My kids were great and healthy, and my relationship with my wife was fine, but there was this deep, deep hole 
that I was yearning to fill. And I knew it wasn't going to be filled with things of the world because I had those. We had all of those. So maybe this was a little crazy, but after speaking with my wife, we decided that we were just going to shut everything down, shut every business down, and kind of start over. That we really missed the mark somehow. Not sell it, just shut it down. We just shut it down. You know what? This that, was, that, was not, that was not wise, i got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, my wife looks back on those days and she says, what, what were we thinking? Um, she doesn't have remorse, but she said, uh, you know, she sure missed having the housekeeper and some of those well, things. Well, sometimes when you got to make a drastic change, though, you've got to do stuff like that. And, you know, I, I think that was God's hand and his grace. But anyway, we shut everything down. And, you know, the way businesses work, you know, you, you have leases on things, leases on office space, leases on on uh, copy machines and, and a variety of different obligations. Well, by shutting everything down, it basically took everything we had to break even. So we shut, the blessing was we shut everything down and we were able to walk away. We started fresh. We moved to Northern California to a small town at the time called Redding and um, had just a little bit of money in the bank, basically not much and obtained a job working with the AIDS patients in all the northern region of Northern California. And my job was to make home visits and make sure that everybody with HIV and with AIDS were getting the resources that they needed. I got to tell you, that was a great job in the sense of kind of refocusing what was important in life. Traveling around, seeing a lot of northern beauty, northern California beauty, and and experiencing different people at their in their need. And, and at that time, at that time in this world, having HIV was a death sentence. So I had these patients that were really looking at being at the end of their life, really like hospice patients in a way. Right. And they look at life a lot different. It was a time to really focus in on the spiritual aspect of life. And then driving around, my territory was like, like 200 miles. So when I would get in my car, I had all this time to think, and um, which was opposite of my previous life, where um, I was so bombarded with distractions all the time. So anyway, so that was going on, and now this is kind of leading me to finally <laughs> the, the, the outcome, is, um, well, that was going on, and there was really a big change happening within my heart. We were getting more involved with our parish and serving more, and, and I was really kind of, I think, yearning to find my place in life. What was I supposed to be doing or what was I being called to do? And somehow I got on the computer and I was looking at becoming a Catholic deacon. I didn't know any deacons at all. I, I didn't even know what a deacon was. I don't know how I ended up on the Sacramento Diocese webpage, but there it was. And I read the, when I read the descriptions of being a deacon, I thought, that was it. That's what I really needed to do. I didn't care about being in charge. I didn't care about owning things. I really wanted to get down to the root of just serving people and finding happiness. And of course, being a deacon, you aren't called to serve. So what were some of the ministries in your parish that you were doing that you obviously already had that heart of service? So what were you? some of the things you were helping out with before you entered the diaconate program? Yeah, I think at that time, which has changed quite a bit now, but I think at that time I was just doing some of the, what you'd call like the routine or regular things, you know, becoming a Eucharistic minister, 
um, we had a great program where we called it um, Homebound Ministry. Since I was really comfortable with going into people's homes, it really tapped right in that I could take, you know, the Holy Eucharist, Jesus, to people that were shut-ins in their house. Using your strengths that you were already accustomed to. Yeah. So that's what I, those were some of the main things I think I did. There wasn't a lot of things set up for men at the time in my parish. And I think that's at some point I'll get into, that's really where my focus is now and what I've been doing for the last decade, especially after becoming a deacon. Men weren't, um, men weren't wanted or needed back then. The women, men didn't do it and women stepped up and did the role. So then there became, the women will do it. Yeah, and so yeah. there's a big movement. That's that's all the men's conference and the men's my men's group meetings and and this show. It's all about helping get men fired back up and and getting them back into roles of Eucharistic minister and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a great need for that. So so anyway, so I'm looking at this website and I'm thinking this is what I need to do and I, and I'm I'm pretty stoked and I'm really inspired and I I thought okay this is I'm gonna do this now. Oh, I got to get accepted. <laughs> I saw that in there. <laughs> Oh. And anyway, so so I'm I'm on fire for this, and um, and so I go down and make an appointment to the the person who's the director of the diaconate, and this is in the Sacramento diocese, and I make that appointment. At that point, it was a sister that was in charge. Um, her name was Sister Paulina. Anyway, I meet with her, and and Liz went with me, and we have this interview. It went on for about an hour, and then at the end of the hour, she says, "You know what? I think you guys would be perfect, Pat. I think you'd be perfect to be a deacon." Um, could you come back in four years? Because, um, believe it or not, four years. Because the way they do it in Sacramento, and I think they still do it this way now, it's a five-year program, and they only start a new program when one program is finished. And they were just a year into that program, so I had to wait four years. Again, though, looking backwards, I think God's hand was in that because I had four years to really work on really developing my spirituality and really forming myself to be ready to be formed. And I was introduced at that time, Liz and I both were, to this program. It was called The Disciples of Jesus and Mary. It was run by a priest from SOLT, Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And it was a three-year program that really taught you how to, how to pray in your life, how to discern things in your life, and how to become a disciple. And it really relied on teachings from the early church fathers and the saints, and it was really grounded in the traditions of our church. And it was a pretty rigorous program. So my wife and I did that together for, for three years. And then another year went by. We were accepted into the diaconate. Now, the diac- diaconate in Sacramento is a little different from here, I believe, in the sense that if you're, if you're a married man, your wife goes through the diaconate the same as you do in the sense that she goes to all the classes All as five well. years? All five years. Now, she doesn't have to write the papers and, and do some of the extra. She doesn't have to do the field ministry, but she's being formed right alongside myself being formed. And so when we're finished, we've gone through this journey together and we're really unified in a lot of ways. And I think that's really a blessing yeah. that we did that together. So we went through the program and finished the program, and I was ordained um, June 7th of 2008, so just about 10 years ago. Okay, so when did you go on your mission to, you know, I mean, come on, I thought that was before you were— No, no, oh, no really? that's after. Oh, so, wow. um, 
so I guess I'll just keep going. Yeah, that's keep okay. going then. Um, so anyway, so so life's great, and I'm assigned to um, Our Lady of Mercy. There's something about Our Lady. Everywhere I go is Our Lady, and I actually really love that. Um, but anyway, Our Lady of Mercy in um, in Northern California in Redding, that's where I was assigned to, and I'd been there for, I served there for quite a few years, and that's where I started developing the men's ministry. And at some point, I'll get into the Men in Motion outdoor retreats, and maybe that's another, another session that we'll talk about that. But the, I, we initiated that program um, now eight years ago in Northern California, and it was a way to get men together. Um, not, not as it, kind of like a men's group in a sense, but but not men sitting around a conference room table. It's taking the concept of getting gathering men together, putting them outdoors where they like to be in the mountains or or kayaking down streams and and um, being together, but 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 combining it with a spiritual component and taking a priest along so we can have mass on the top of a mountain or mass in the middle of the forest or mass on a riverbank. Um, going down, you know, the river on a journey, and and anyway, well, I guess we'll have to have another show <laughs> just talk about that. Yeah, but anyway, so <clears throat> anyway, so I spent a lot of time at that parish with men's ministry, and um, and then my wife and I were invited to go to Guatemala by a priest by the name of Father of Ram Brown, who ended up becoming one of my best friends. He said he was taking a youth group down to Guatemala, and would we like to come? I said, sure. And without asking my wife or my kids, I said, sure. <laughs> and for and, how long? Yeah. Anyway, it was, a, it was a short trip. It was just a 10-day trip. Anyway, my wife, and at that point, uh, we had two kids at home. And it was Sean and Mackenzie, and they were 10 and 12. And uh, we went to Guatemala, and it was a life-changing experience. I remember flying into Guatemala. And we arrived at the airport. We had to load up into a van. We hopped in this van, and we drove two hours out of Guatemala City, high up this mountain, and into a tropical forest. And then we get out of the van, and the place is called San Lucas Talamon, and it's right on the edge of Lake Atitlan. National Geographic says Lake Atitlan and that area right around the lake is one of the 10 most beautiful sites in the world, yet it's so poor. So it's, it's this beautiful lake surrounded by three volcanoes in a tropical forest, and that's, and that's where we land. Well, so we get off of the van, and then there's a truck waiting for us. And it's a little pickup truck, and they said, load up into the back. So there's 20 of us in this group, and we all lo- load up in the back of this truck. So it's got side rails on it, and we're hanging on the side. And it takes us even deeper and higher into the mountain. And we go to this little place called San Andreas. And San Andreas was this little, I don't know what you would call it, a camp. There were, in in Guatemala, there's many coffee plantations, and they have lots of rainstorms there and mudslides. And just a few months before we arrived, there was this huge rainstorm and a mudslide, and it just wiped out this whole plantation of 100 families and all of their homes. Well, the Catholic Church there stepped in because the plantation owner said, there's too much damage done to my property. All you guys just need to get off the property. And he threw off 100 families with no place to go. So the Catholic Church says, we'll get you guys some land. And they found them some land. They put the 100 families on the land. They put up shacks, basically, with just um, canvas siding for these shacks. And this is where those 100 families were. 
And we were, we were then delivered to this little place called San Andreas. And I still remember to this day, driving through that tropical forest, closing in under where that little group of people were. And as we drove closer, there was probably 40 kids barefoot running after us, chasing to see who's in the truck, who's in the truck, you know, <laughs> and coming here. And they were just laughing. And, and we get out of the truck and these kids that don't even know us grab us and hug us and they just embrace us. And my son, Sean, who was 12 years old, gets out of the truck and the kids invite him to play soccer with them. And these kids have no shoes on. Their soccer ball is a ball tied. It's just rags tied together. And they're having the most fun you would not believe. And my son's joining in. And he didn't speak Spanish at the time. And, but they're still communicating. And they're still, they're still having fun. He was later invited to go to one of the houses. And he went into the house. And it was a dirt floor. And, um, and he spent some time with the family. And then after about the next day, we were talking about you know, what was that like? These kids have never been exposed to a third world country or anything like that. He said, Dad, you know, those kids have absolutely nothing, but they're the happiest kids I've ever seen in my life. This is coming from a 12-year-old. Poverty of riches, but spiritual happiness. Yeah, and it was just this transformational, you know, visit and experience. And anyway, so so I, I loved that so much that we actually started going back every year. That was our summer vacation. For, for 10 years, we went back to that same little village. And then to get to, be, to answer your question very quickly, my plan all along was once our kids got out of the house and went to college, my wife and I were going to go there and try to be, see what it'd be like to be full-time missionaries. So when my youngest daughter went off to Loyola in Chicago to go to college, we actually sold our house, we sold all of our possessions, and we took off and we moved to Guatemala to become missionaries. And how long were you there? So my plan was, by saying we sold everything, <laughs> is we were going to do that for quite some time. That's what I thought. But we were there a year. So we first went to an immersion Spanish school for two months so we could learn the language. And then we actually moved in with a family that we befriended there. And so we actually moved in and lived with a local Mayan family in their little tiny house. And they brought us in as part of their family. And in hindsight, what a blessing because he was a well-respected person of the community. And, and by, by living with them, he, he was basically vouching for us. And, and at some point, uh, I'd love to share with you all the ministries and things we did in Guatemala as well. Man, we may have to have you back for a third show. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's going to be great. Yeah, we're almost at the end of the show, and, and I didn't get a word in Edgewine, did I? <laughs> this was good stuff. We've been uh, talking with Deacon Pat Kearns from Our Lady of the Valley out in Caldwell today on Man Cave. And if you just joined us, you've missed an incredible story. And we would just invite you to go to saltandlightradio.com and uh, click on the podcast page. And you can listen to this interview in its entirety. And, yes, we definitely have to have you come back and uh, we'll talk more with you. So. Yeah, because we didn't even get into his books. They, he's got five, six books. You've almost, written books? Yeah, he's I, written I books. actually have six novels, and, and you know what? And, the sixth one was just published today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, oh, hey, hey, great. And and now he's got Men in Motion, so we haven't even touched the surface. This dude is on fire, man. All right, we'll have Deacon Pat uh, on in a, in a future show. So you've been listening to Man Cave, and stick around. We've got Catholic Answers Live coming up next on Salt and Light Radio.